Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. I mentioned this. We read this passage and we just briefly mentioned it. Wednesday evening in our prayer service. And so this morning I want to preach from this text and on that topic. And basically the title for today is Advent, God with us. And sometimes that is a promise that is difficult to believe, to have faith, because I feel like we are stuck in verses 2 and 3 of that hymn, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And it feels like we are perpetually stuck there, and we definitely are. Verse 3 describes our state and situation very well as we bow our heads in despair. And we live in a day of despair. We live in a day of judgment. We live in a day of deconstruction. We live in a day of of apostasy. And so as we come to the Advent season, it can be the temptation to be skeptical. to not respond the way that we are told to respond as Christians, which is to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, Paul said. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. To declare that he has been made both Lord and Christ, and that he shall reign forever and ever. And that he is presently, and will not stop, and will not fail, until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. And then verses 4 and 5 of that song will ring true. And we believe it is true. I believe that it is true. But when you look around and see the reality of our situation today, it's with a very faint heart and a very weak faith that we declare Advent to be true. Because we are in trouble. And there's no reason to skirt around it. That's the first thing you have to acknowledge. Is that there is a problem. And we are in trouble. However, the right response is not skepticism. The right response is not to be defeated. And to give up and to surrender. To isolate. To hide ourselves. To be silent. No. It's even more pressing upon us to live out the reality and truth of Advent. And it doesn't matter if there are a thousand of us or twelve of us or however many 
there may be, if we truly love Christ, we will live in the reality of the truth of his word and the truth of the gospel, no matter what the rest of the world does. And we should then be a testimony and a witness against them. And a testimony and a witness for Christ that these things are true. And no matter how much they tell us it is not true, it should make us just proclaim it louder. Revelation chapter 1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the title of the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the beast. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of the serpent, the devil, Satan. It is not the revelation of the defeat of Christ's kingdom. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the reason why it's the revelation of Jesus Christ is because he is the victorious one. That's what the book of Revelation should teach you and should proclaim to you. It shouldn't proclaim things about nuclear war and Apache helicopters and whatever kind of weird sensational things people can try to pull out of it. The message of the revelation of Jesus Christ is that he has been made both Lord and Christ and he shall reign forever. Notice verse number one. I also want to ask you, uh, because we're going to have to go speedily here this morning, to try to follow along as best you can or write some of these things down to look up and read later as we won't be able to spend time dealing with everything exhaustively. But we want to give at least a, a quick summary proclamation concerning the revelation of Jesus Christ and how is Jesus Christ revealed in Advent, in his comings. Advent, God with us. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants which things must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and made us kings and priests to his God and Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Notice that phrase is stated twice who is and who was and who is to come. 
the Almighty. And so what I want to do is talk to us this morning about Advent, knowing that the Advent is the revelation of Christ, but I want to talk about three Advents, three comings of Jesus Christ. He who is and was and is to come. As John is writing this, he's talking about who was in the birth of Christ, his first advent. The one, he who is to come, he's talking about his second advent when he will physically and bodily, no matter what you're reading on the internet right now, he will physically and bodily return in his second advent, just like he came physically and bodily in his first advent. So he's talking about he who was and who is to come. But notice the who is, which is a actual spiritual advent. Advent is all about God condescending to man. So when we think about the first advent, what do we think about? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, This is stated as a fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah in the birth of Jesus Christ, where it is said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And this is the declaration of the word of God in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up to glory. Well, my favorite verse is Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How about John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. St. Bernard, of, I'll try to get this right, Clairvaux, it's all this French stuff, you know, it just doesn't work for me, not at all, but St. Bernard of Clairvaux, he was a preacher back, uh, we're talking about around 1000 AD, he wrote this, he said, we know that the coming of the Lord is threefold. The first coming was in flesh and weakness. The middle coming is in spirit and power. And the final coming will be in glory and majesty. So I'm going to kind of pull out the middle aspect and put it at the end for our purposes here this morning. But first of all, let's consider Christ's first advent. Because at Christmas, we celebrate the first adventus or coming when God took on human flesh in the person of Jesus and entered the story of humanity. But why did Jesus come in the first place? Well, the reason he came, as as we saw in Sunday school, is that there was a covenant that was made with man in creation, which was the covenant of works. Life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon the condition of perfect, and personal obedience. But man did not abide in that covenant. He did not abide in those promises, but he fell from that covenant 
by his transgression. And he made himself incapable of life through his sin. Because the wages of sin is death. But the Lord was pleased to make a second covenant. That we commonly call the covenant of grace. And what is this second covenant? It's where he sent his son. Jesus, he sent his son into the world. Jesus Christ manifested for our salvation. And so, Jesus Christ came. And we saw this in chapter 7 of the Westminster Confession this morning, but the simplified summary of it is this. The purpose for the first advent and why Jesus Christ came is stated by Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 where he says, This is a faithful saying and it's worthy of all praise. It's worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus Christ came. This was the promise that we have declared at the birth of Christ in Matthew 1.21. And she... Talking about Mary shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. This is expanded by Zacharias right before the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 1 when Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied this concerning the birth of Jesus. Messiah coming into the world, the Son of God made flesh. And he said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, expressed it this way. He said, Men and brethren, let me speak to you freely about the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to his flesh, he would raise up Christ, the Messiah, to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you see and hear this day. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Why did Jesus come in his first advent? To be Lord and Christ. In order to save sinners. In order to reconcile this world back to God. Our text says this here in Revelation 1. 
Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice three things that are listed there. Why did Jesus come? Why was he revealed? Why was he manifested in the flesh? First of all, it says to be a ruler over the kings of the earth, to love us, or to wash us from our sins in his own blood because of his love that he has for us, and then to make us kings and priests to his God so that he can exercise his glory and dominion forever and ever. That is the purpose of Christ's coming. To be Lord and to be a Savior and to establish his kingdom. Notice, Advent is also about Christ's second coming, his His second advent, you might say. Advent is also a time for us to remind us of our wait for the unexpected time of Jesus' second advent at the end of the age or the end of the world. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42, Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So there is this future coming, a physical bodily return, the promise that Christ will come again. And in Acts chapter 1, we see that there is a reality to his coming that is the same as the reality of his first coming. So if you believe that Jesus Christ actually come in the flesh, Which John says, if you don't believe that, you're an antichrist. But if you believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh in his first advent, you have to also believe he will come in the flesh in his second advent because what is said here as Jesus is ascending to the Father in uh, chapter 1 of the book of Galatians, after he tells them that they're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for him upon the earth. And it says in verse 9, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here? Here, gazing up into heaven. This same Jesus, the one that you just seen, leave. This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. In other words, that same Jesus that they saw go up into heaven is going to come down from heaven. And we are to wait or to anticipate that second coming, that second advent. Isn't this what we 
are told, and part of this anticipation is found in Romans chapter 8, when Paul says that we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, which takes place when? At Jesus Christ's return, according to 1 Corinthians 15, right? We are told in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 that there were those who were going around denying the resurrection of Christ, or excuse me, denying Well, yeah, there was different ones denying the resurrection and then the resurrection of Christ. And Paul ties them together, actually. Because if you deny one, you actually deny the other. So, it's hard to uphold the resurrection of Christ if you say that there is no resurrection. There are those going around doing that, by the way, just as a side note, and that's happening right now all over the Internet, this discussion about this very topic. And the fact of the matter is, if you deny a physical, bodily resurrection, you are unorthodox, you're a heretic. You're actually denying the gospel. The gospel is that we shall be saved from our sins. The wages of sin is death. In other words, we will have life. Life as God created it. I'm not going to exist in some unconscious state. What kind of hope is that? What kind of promise is that? We're not going to be some new, different person. What kind of hope is that? No, Jesus says that the bodies that we have that are returned into the ground will be resurrected out of that ground. And we'll see and we'll know. But we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that there's going to be a resurrection. That death is going to be defeated. And and we don't have time for all this. uh, So I have to pick and choose. Uh, what I want to do, so let's look at Second Timothy chapter, oh my goodness, I just lost my place. Second Timothy chapter 2. Yes, that's where I want to go. So, we know the first part of the chapter where Paul's telling us to be good soldiers and do our hardness. But there's actually a context and a purpose for all these statements about uh, this warrior spirit that Paul is calling Timothy and all Christians to. And then he changes it from the warrior spirit to to, like, competition in athletics. The desire and the will to win and to do what it takes to win. So, Paul wants us to have the warrior spirit to conquer. God wants, or Paul wants us to have the spirit of competition to win. But there's a context with it all. And the context has to do with the gospel. Notice 
in verse 11, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them. So Paul's wanting Timothy to remind some people of these things. Charging them before the Lord not to strive about with words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but, pro, uh, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like a cancer. Hymenius and Philitus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the Lord, or nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those that who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You see, having a right understanding of the resurrection, having a right understanding of the second advent should have some kind of implications upon our lives. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and, the, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also shall be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. In other words, the implications that we're finding here in the second advent is it should cause us to live a certain way. If we are watching and anticipating that the Lord shall come again. Now, he may not come in your lifetime, there's been several, many generations that have passed before us, and there may be many generations that pass after us, but one of these days, he is going to come, and you will be raised, and you will stand before him. Waiting, anticipating. The anticipation should cause us to live a certain way. We should live as those who look for new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. We should live in such a way that we live as if the Lord might come as a thief in the night. We should not live as those who say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Scoffing. Becoming skeptical and hardened, not realizing that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But what does our text say about the second advent? In verse number 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with clouds.
and every eye will see him, and they who per, uh, and even they who pierced him. In other words, there's consciousness, there's knowledge. It's physical. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. And so, John writes this in his epistle, the first little of his, of his small epistles. He writes, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That's what the anticipation of the second advent should cause in us. And the reason why it does not cause that in us is because we don't believe the first advent and we definitely don't believe in the second advent. While we celebrate with joy the first coming of Jesus in the flesh and the mystery of the incarnation and we anticipate his second coming with hope, there is a third, which is actually a middle, but, uh, but for our purposes here this morning, it's the third point, right? Um, there is this third and more immediate coming. And because we don't believe in the first and we don't believe in the second, it causes us to be in this state where we're at today where we don't experience the middle. One of the most shameful things that we are testifying to the world, and listen, I say this morning, It's sorrowful and grieving, not in judgment and bitterness, but in knowing that what God has prepared for his people. And look at us. Look at the state and the condition where we, that we are in today, in our personal lives, in our families, in our churches, throughout all of our society. You see, Advent is not simply a remembrance of an event that happened 2,000 years ago with no meaning or purpose for us today. It's not only an in anticipation of his second Advent, but it is a reception of his presence his spiritual coming today many times this spiritual advent is called the middle coming which is the connector between the first and the second advent this spiritual advent is the coming of christ in spirit and power unto his people in all places and times it's it's his presence so that in every age the church and christians should be say he who was and is and is to come. I'm afraid what we have to say today is he who was and is to come. And we can't state the third reality, the third advent, or the third coming, the spiritual presence of Christ The spiritual presence of Christ in his word and in sacrament. We do not believe in transubstantiation. We do not believe that the 
bread magically becomes the actual flesh of Jesus Christ, which is what the Roman church believes. We don't believe that the wine actually becomes the literal blood of Jesus Christ, but we do believe in the spiritual presence of Christ in the bread and the cup, in the observance of the sacrament. But I'm afraid today is that we don't acknowledge or even realize that our Emmanuel, God with us, it's true today just as much as it was true yesterday or just as much as it shall be true in the future. He who was and is and is to come. If you think I'm stretching this a little bit, hear the word of God in John chapter 14 and verse 23. Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The spiritual presence of Christ coming to us. In commissioning his church, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So we have to ask ourselves today, was that true or not? We see it should be true, and if it was true, things would be a whole lot different. Now I'm talking about the reality. And us living in that reality. When John, or when Jesus was speaking to his disciples in John chapter 14, telling them not to let their heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. But notice what he says. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Obviously a reference to a second advent. But later in verse 12, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will... Do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know, for he dwells with you and will be with you. You, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. When Jesus promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us, he meant it. He spiritually dwells with his people. First of all, in our hearts, in our own lives. But this 
is manifested in the church. We have been given an earnest of the Spirit, but the working of the Spirit is within the full assembly of the church through the Word and the sacraments and other means of grace. Our text says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come. See, we, we now present Jesus Christ as some kind of a fairy tale about a little baby that was born and it's all sweet and cuddly and nice. Second Advent, yeah, we pretty much leave that one alone. And then, of course, there is no present reality of his coming. You see, when we are walking in the Spirit, it is a testimony and a witness of the reality of the advent of Jesus Christ. And when we are not walking in the Spirit, it is a denial of, of the advent of Christ, as if he had not come into the world and as if he is not coming again. You see, if these things are true, that Jesus is the first and the last and everything in between, if these things are true, and they must, and they most certainly are, and if these things are to be most assuredly believed among us, and they should then what in the world is wrong with us today? Why are we not using the means of grace to be justified, sanctified, and glorified by the blood of Christ and translated into his kingdom, he who is both Lord and Christ? Why are we not busy living and working for Christ's kingdom in in anticipation of his second advent? Why are we not seeking Christ to come to us today? Is it because we live in unbelief? Is it because we are the scoffers of whom Peter warned about? Is it because we are skeptics? Is it because we are apostates? Is it because we are the false teachers who turn the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness? Well, if that's the case, and I think, generally speaking, if we look around, we can say that that is the case. If that is the case, then we had better repent. Because if we do not, we most certainly shall perishing. As a matter of fact, we should be able to look around and see that we are perishing already. Let us turn back to the Lord our God and truly believe that God sent his Son into the world to save sinners. Let us truly believe that Jesus has been made both Lord and Christ. Let us truly believe that he has made us kings and priests to go into this world and take the gospel to every creature in every nation and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and then disciple them to be obedient servants of Christ in his kingdom. And let us believe that Jesus said that he would come unto us and empower us to be able to do these things. 
and let us believe and wait in anticipation that Christ is going to come back physically and bodily to raise up those that are dead. To give an account of the works that we have done. The works that we've done in Adam or the works that we've done in Christ. To give an account. Because he will come to render to every man according to his deeds. If we truly, truly believed in the advent of Jesus Christ, what kind of circumspection do you think that should cause for us? How much should that humble us and cause us to fall before our Lord in repentance? And how much should that cause us as he says, your sins are forgiven, to rise up and to go forth, to show forth our thanksgiving and praise for what he has done for us by living in the spirit and not walking according to the flesh. Father, help us not to just go through Advent in order to get to Christmas, to open some presents, eat some cookies. But Lord, may this be a time of preparation in our hearts and lives, preparing for Christ's coming to us today. May that be our desire. May that be what we seek and what we long for, is for your presence among us, your power upon us, your righteousness demonstrated and displayed through us. Lord, raise up your people. Awaken us. Revive us. And we pray that during this Advent season, it would be a time for us to make these examinations and also to make these resolutions that we are going to follow Christ. In his name we pray, amen.